We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor, send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. Hello and welcome to the Euro Step episode 17. Uh, I'm Kane Pittman. I'm joined as always by Ty Windish as the Bucks are one win away from their first series win since 2001. They beat the Pistons 119-103 on the road. Blake Griffin returned. Blake Griffin played really well and it didn't matter at all, Ty. No, it didn't, Kane. I'm just uh, over here in Oshkosh getting my brooms ready for uh, Monday night's game against the uh, the Pistons. Probably, I think, feels like it's pretty safe to say what will be the last game in this first round for the, the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, I think so. I mean, when, when you <laughs> just the first thing I, I look at or when you look at a, a Bucks box score is, oh, well, the Bucks won big. What did Giannis do? Uh, that was not the case last night. Giannis did not have a great night and it did not matter at all. Uh, the Bucks. I felt like, and this is something I sort of said, I, I felt like the uh, the Pistons threw an early punch and the crowd was fired up and that was their opportunity to really uh, work their way into a game at home, uh, the first playoff game that they've had in their building. But the Bucks sort of resisted that. And when Milwaukee went in with an eight-point lead at the end of the first quarter, it felt like there was nothing. This game was over. And, and that's if you didn't already feel that way already. But the fact that they took that sort of early hit from the Pistons uh, they were able to hold an eight-point lead, and Giannis didn't even score a point in the first quarter. Uh, it was not a good sign for Detroit. No, this was something I was looking at, too. I mean, I, I saw, I think my guy, either Matthew or my guy Adam, uh, tweeted early the, in the morning of the game day, like, this would be the trap game for sure. Like, 
this is I still don't think the Pistons will win, but this feels like the one they would. And then that was even before anybody knew Blake was going to play at all in the series. I mean, Blake, and like you said, I thought he played a lot better than I expected him to. He played more than I expected him to. Uh, really gave the Pistons a boost. There was a lot of energy in that building, I think, for the first time ever in Little Caesars Arena. I mean, yeah. that, that was not a, a raucous, raucous crowd in, in the regular season. But credit to Detroit and Pistons fans. I mean, it felt like they showed up. It it seemed like a good atmosphere for Detroit, and they were rolling early. But it, I maybe one of the more impressive things I've seen from the Bucks as a whole this year, because the crowd's going. Blake's playing well. He's obviously just him being there, I'm sure, brought their whole team energy. That's their guy. Giannis struggling early especially, but really all game. And the Bucs just consistently up by double digits after that first quarter. And then a little bit of a a run in the second too. But it felt like it was pretty much over by halftime. And I I thought it was just stunning how well everyone on the team, basically, aside from Giannis, played to put this one away. Yeah, I I think it really uh, just summed up how far apart these two teams are because you mentioned about Griffin playing well and he has 27 points, uh, seven rebounds, six assists, a couple of steals as well. Uh, he was really, really, really good for them. And he wasn't looking good <laughs> health-wise. He did not look okay. And I, I find it really – I'm going to be – I will be shocked if he plays on Monday just because uh, how sore he looked at the end of that game. He plays 30 minutes. He threw everything he could into that into that game. And as you said, while you know Detroit were never really going to get back in this series, we didn't think. Uh, if they do win Game Three, then as we saw last year with the Bucks and, and Boston, you give yourselves a chance to extend the series and make this a, a home court series and and force the Bucks to win uh, at FISO Forum. So, look, I, I I think that was the the thinking behind playing Blake. Uh, I like you said, I didn't think that he was going to play that much time. I thought he was maybe going to play fifteen and not be able to go. Uh, he really pushed himself through, but uh, yeah, like I just mentioned, with with only one day off before Game Four, uh, I would be pretty shocked if he if he played. And you know, for the Milwaukee side of things, like you said, Giannis doesn't play well, and it's just a balanced offense that we have seen from this Milwaukee team all year. So they have uh, eight players in, in double digits, which is which is nothing new. We've seen that all year, uh, but Ersan Ilyasova was probably the spark in the first quarter when I talked about the Bucks taking that punch. He comes in, hits three threes in the space of about two minutes. And that was good to see for Ursa because he really had a hot shooting February and March. He was shooting well over 40% from three in those uh, two months. Uh, in April, he was down to, coming into this game, he was down shooting around 16% uh, from three. He was, he was having a bit of a rough time of it. So uh, for him to come in and... Uh, you know, hit a couple of shots, had to feel good for him. He finishes with 15 points on the night. And I, I think it was interesting to see that that Bud did try and go with that DJ Wilson, uh, Blake Griffin matchup. It didn't go well, and DJ <laughs> sat down pretty quickly. But we've spoke about what, whether the Bucks are going to use matchups and whether they're going to bring in certain guys because they are so deep for certain matchups. And last night we did see Bud do that, even though he told me specifically that is not something that he's going to do and he doesn't care about matchups. That's definitely what happened last night. Yeah, it is. And I almost wonder if part of it was just wanting to see, you know, is this defender DJ that we saw in the regular season going to hold up in the playoffs? Because obviously it is a different yeah. game. And the, the the test run was not good. Four minutes for DJ. He was a minus 11. Uh, 
Blake, I thought, uh, just not to talk too much about the other team. I mean, again, it's they're going to be out of the playoffs in a game two at absolute maximum. His defense was better than I expected, too. He did a pretty damn good job defending Giannis, and it kind of just goes to what we've been saying all along and that it stinks that Blake isn't playing. It obviously hampers Detroit a lot, but even if he's out there, even healthier than this, I, I just don't think the series changes one bit. It just doesn't seem to matter. The supporting cast could not be any more different right now between Blake and Giannis. No, it's 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 just not this series is not close. And now the Bucks move to seven and O against Detroit this season. Uh the average winning margin is now eighteen point seven points in those seven games. Ooh. So it has been a beatdown. And in fact, I was just looking up this and I just tweeted this stat out. The Bucks have now won the first three games of this series by fifteen plus points. It's the first time in any postseason the Bucks have won at least three games by fifteen plus points since nineteen seventy four, mm. uh, and they've done it. And they've done it in their first three games. So we are expecting the Bucks are going to have a, a plenty more playoff games in this postseason. Uh, the record is six, uh, by the way, fifteen plus wins, which nineteen seventy one, obviously a pretty good year for the Bucks, and then nineteen seventy four. So the Bucks are just rolling along and. We've already touched on the fact that it was a quiet night for Giannis a little bit. He only has 14 points, 5 for 13 shooting. So a really uh, unusual night for him, You know, particularly when you look at the, the shooting numbers, 5 for 13. Uh, he's normally just so efficient. But again, importantly, he, he stays under 30 minutes. So while uh, you know he would like to have played better, it doesn't really matter. We know that this was a very rare night for him. And the big thing is that he didn't have to overexert himself again. But the player of the game for mine was Brooke Lopez. Mm. Uh, he has 19 points, 7 rebounds, 2 assists, 5 blocks, 3 for 7 from the 3-point line. Uh, he was just ridiculous. And Andre Jarmond has just had enough. Yeah, this is this is becoming tough. The When Drummond's on the court... Over those three games, he's played 94 total minutes. The Pistons are minus 43.4 per 100 possessions. And you look at the flip side, it's this matchup that's determined the entire series thus far, in my opinion. And Brooke Lopez is 92 minutes. Notice how close those numbers are. That is not a coincidence. They often are on the court at the same time. The Bucks are outscoring Detroit by 44 points per 44.7 per 100 possessions. And that's just... That's a slaughter. I mean, that's what I mean. We've seen it in the series. That's why the scores have been what they have been. But it's honestly, I mean, I heard previously, you know, from you and and from some of my Detroit pals that, you know, Andre Drummond's Brook Lopez has his number, whatever else. I didn't think it would be like this. You know, part of me wondered, well, maybe that was the old Brook Lopez when he was more of a post up guy. I don't know if that's going to translate. It it it's translated. It's translated in a big way, and I just think. I'm just shocked at this point that Drummond's still playing 30 minutes a game. I mean, this is the first time all series when the Pistons haven't outscored the Bucks with him off the floor. A minus eight with Drummond, and Detroit loses by 16 overall, but or 13 overall. No, 16. I was right the first time. Anyway, just really tough for this guy. I mean, he he got himself his his numbers up at least 12 points, 12 boards, two assists, four steals, three blocks, but also four turnovers and five personal fouls. But Everything he does is very much negated by Milwaukee. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> when he picked up that, uh, when he picked up his fifth foul, you know, I said to, uh, so I, I actually watched the game. So I didn't make it to Detroit for whatever some unfortunate reasons. I didn't get there, but I was in Milwaukee. I was at Fireserve last night with some friends watching the game, and when uh, Drummond picked up his fifth foul, 
uh, I sort of turned to my friend and I said, you know what? I would not put him past uh, intentionally failing these six just so he can get off the court at this point because <laughs> it is, I mean, I, I, this, this is where we're at with the Bucks right now. If you are a center and you can't, sh- you can't score outside of the paint, you're going to have a bad time with this with this Bucks defense because yeah. that's what they do. They protect the paint. Not only do you have to deal with uh, Lopez, you've got Giannis as the free wheeler coming over the top like to, to pressure your shot as well. So it, I can't think of a there, – there would not be a worse matchup for Drummond coming in. We've You pointed to some numbers during this uh, series, but uh, on, the, on the whole season now through this, the seven games, Drummond is minus 127 uh, across the seven Ooh. games. Uh, which when almost you, twenty per game, right? Almost twenty per game. But the, the 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 funny thing about this is, well, not funny if you're a Detroit fan or Andre Drummond. But the thing about this is, the Pistons are only minus I say only, but only minus one hundred thirty one in the seven games. So Detroit, when Drummond's off the floor, Detroit are just minus four across those seven games. They're minus one hundred twenty seven when he's on the floor. So. It has just been it's been a nightmare for him and it doesn't help on the other end. There was times last night where Andre Drummond was actually uh out beyond the three point line defending uh Brook Lopez. Mm-mm, so Drummond doesn't work. Drummond is a fine defender, but you want him in the paint. That's where he does his that's where he's most comfortable, that's where he can actually change a game. Lopez has him outside the perimeter, the Bucks win. It doesn't matter if Lopez is hitting threes. If Drummond's out there, the Bucks have already won the matchup. So uh, Lopez again. We we saw a great example last night of why he's been such a game changer for this uh, Bucks team on both ends as well. Not just shooting the threes, even though last night he has one of his you know better offensive games in a little while now. But uh, I mean, I I don't I don't really know what the other options are for Detroit. We you know we saw them try Thon a couple of times who. You know the problem with Thon is that there was there was a few times there where he would close out on Lopez super aggressively, like we know that he does, leave his feet, then all of a sudden Lopez is getting open dunks. So I'm not sure if Detroit have an answer at all for Brook Lopez. They don't, and this is a thing that's going to be really interesting to watch going forward because I've seen a lot of talk, heard it part like up close, people talking to me, like, oh, I think teams are going to play Brook Lopez off the floor, and I mean at least in this first round Brooke Lopez has played teams off the floor and we're going to see that's going to change obviously Al Horford's a much different animal than Andre Drummond but there are things that Lopez does and if you like you said with Thon I mean if you close out too hard he's going to dunk I mean his drives to the rim this year I think have been fantastic he's got a little bit of a floater he'll take it right to the rack he's big he's faster than you think his rim protection is great I mean they might have to switch up the defense a little bit with the pick and pop action Horford's going to do when when the Bucks play the Celtics but there's a lot that Brooke Lopez does that's really hard for other centers. Um, the Thon thing, I mean, just uh, – have you ever heard of Quap, Kane? Uh, no, I don't think so. Quap, Q-W-O-P is a computer – it's like a free online game, like just in, like on the browser, where you control a person running with just those four buttons and like it's really like – like the mechanics are terrible and like he kind of just flops all over and it's like really difficult to make him run. So I tweeted a gif of Quap and said, this is Don Maker playing defense. I mean, he just flails all over somewhat uncontrollably. And he played 11 minutes, made his only field goal, made four free throws, blocked a shot. It's pretty good. Also picked up three personal fouls in those 11 minutes. So, I mean, per 36, you're at about 10 fouls, I think. So that's just, it's not tenable. And that's always been his issue. It continues to be his issue. And if you're a big guy, you have to be able to play without fouling if you're going to play more than 11 minutes. I mean, that's just the only way that you can stay out there. So 
they they don't have an option. I mean, the Zaza, who I think everyone in on the Bucks side of things is glad the 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 less Zaza, the better for keep him off the floor. Yeah, for for uh, not really gameplay, but more injury concerns. Yeah, we we you know, there's one game left for the Bucks. They they don't want uh, they don't want any untimely injuries. But uh, speaking of injuries, I, I think that one of the positives last night was uh, Nikola Mirotic. He, yes. uh he comes in and and look, he was looking a little bit rusty over his first couple of games, and uh, just really just looked like he was he was struggling to sort of find his place back in this team. And and I don't think that that should really surprise anyone because, um, yeah, we remember that he was just uh, getting accustomed to the system and to the scheme and starting to look really good before he, he had that that injury. So uh, with Miritich last night, he plays fourteen minutes, has twelve points. Three for five from three, so that's a big thing. He got to see some of those shots go down from the perimeter, uh, and, and you know, again, a, a double-digit scoring night for Miritich was uh, good to see. He finishes a minus eight. Some of those bench lineups towards the end, the, the margin came uh, came back a little bit. So, I wouldn't read too much into that because I know these minutes haven't been the best so far team-wise since he's come back. So uh, that's also that is something to to monitor there. But uh, we know that. Bud thinks that Miritich is, is a big part of the rotation, and we expect that he is going to be a big part of the rotation. If he comes in and can hit a couple threes like that off the bench each game, uh, that's a, another big boost to, to a second unit that continues to fire. 100%. I thought it was a good game for most of our, our favorite bench players. Ursan's shot starting to fall. I mean, uh, Bud clearly is still going to go with him a lot. He's the big guy who plays the most off the bench, 23 minutes to Nico's 14, and he was a plus 23, which is pretty solid for Ersan in 23 minutes. 15 points, two boards, one turnover, four fouls. Huge uh, Ersan energy there. I think I think a couple of attempted charges didn't go his way. I thought overall the whistle was slightly Detroit-friendly. I didn't think it was egregious, but Blake got a whole lot, uh, is my opinion. He only had five free throws, though, so maybe it wasn't that bad. George Hill, though, again, just bringing energy. I, just, I like his minutes, even when... I mean, not lights out by any means. Three for seven from the field, one for four from deep, four made free throws, but 11 points, five rebounds, five assists, and no turnovers. And he was a plus 24 in his 23 minutes. So just liking what we're seeing. Pat C's shots weren't going down, but he brought energy. He was a plus 10. He's all over all the time. So it's just encouraging to see the bench guys play well on the road when the old adage is, you know, your role players are only going to play well at home. Right. You think back to uh, last year against the Celtics where the, the second unit, I mean, really anyone outside of Milton or Giannis could not hit a shot, but the second unit in particular really, really struggled. Tony Snell was a guy who had a, a brutal series on the road. Just I don't, mm. I don't even think he hit a three. I think he was, you know, was 0 for 10 plus. That's what it felt like, like yeah. That. Yeah, he was, I mean, so I think for all these guys to, and not that they, they were all around, obviously there's some new faces there, but I, I think just in general for everyone, uh, that's a big being the big thing with this team. They've built this trust all through the season. They've shared the workload. And again, Bledsoe has 19 shots last night, has 19 points. Not a great night efficiency-wise for him, but he did come up with some big plays uh, that were crucial plays, a couple of big and ones. So, But outside of Bledsoe, when you look at the, the shots taken, uh, 13 for Middleton, 13 for Giannis, 13 for Lopez, uh, it's, that's that's what this team's been about all season. They they there's not normally one guy. At, if outside of Giannis, there's not normally one guy that really sort of tries to take over the offensive game. They just take the shots as they come. Uh, and again, this this balances offense. You you look at the bench as you said. Uyasova, Hill, and Miritich all in double digits. Uh, 
You know, Pat Connaughton's a guy that's been scoring the ball really well. Tony Snell last night plays a minute. So uh, I think, again, this this is something that Bud has. So I think Tony Snell is going to be in the rotation, first of all. that that's I think that he's going to come in. I think he's another guy that Bud really trusts. We spoke about this a little bit in the last pod. I, I think Connaughton is probably not playing 26 minutes in the second round. Uh, I think that his minutes have been way up there, and he's been a guy that uh, Bud knows he can he can throw in there and and. He's, he is reliable and he knows what he's going to get from Pat. So I think that Pat's minutes have seen a bump up. But Tony Snell, uh, Bud mentioned before the game that uh, he was he would play him if there was an emergency situation. That wasn't the case. So he gets another two days off. But the fact that they were uh, comfortable putting him on the floor is a very good sign. And uh, I think that you know we could probably look to see Tony Snell uh, play some more minutes in, in game four. Yeah, I hope so. I, this team is just ridiculously deep. I mean, on the bench, the only guys I probably would be hesitant to see play in mi- real minutes is Frazier, obviously, uh, who's, again, I mean, no disrespect to him. but I mean, He's a good player, been, that's what the, but that's the point, right? Like, he Yeah, needs a I good, mean, he's, he's a, a good pretty player. good player yeah. for your 14th or 15th guy. Yeah. I mean, it's just he hasn't been around as long. I, I don't know if his fit is perfect, but yeah. he's, he's soaked up some minutes fine. And then... I'm sort of I'm, I've become more iffy on playoff DJ. I just with how well Ursan and, and now Miritich have looked, I, I'm just a little I don't know, and and how much the starters are going to play. But overall, I mean, those are like the 14th, 15th guy, the 15th guy on the roster. I mean, Pat C is probably like 13th, and I'm totally comfortable with Pat C minutes at this point. So this team is just ridiculous in the amount of options that Bud has to go to here. Yeah, and and they are playing deep. They're playing a lot deeper than probably. Uh, you know, you would think heading into the playoffs, but the it, it's been just so lopsided that Bud is just keeping these guys ready and keeping them involved. Uh, yeah, I think the problem with DJ is at this point is he, he just hasn't been playing. And, yeah. you know, I, it worked early in the season uh, when DJ sort of got thrown in on Blake Griffin, but it's tough. That's a really, really tough thing that he, he sort of asked of DJ uh, in the middle of a playoff game, which at that point in time was still a game, and the Pistons were hanging around and they were right there, uh, and he throws DJ in for a little four-minute uh, stint and chucks him on one of the better offensive players in the game, who was really rolling at that point. So I kind of feel a little bit sorry for DJ there, uh, but you know, four minutes for him and minus eleven on the on the box score. So there, it wasn't a good stretch. Uh, Griffin was getting to the free throw line. He was just doing really whatever he wanted out there, and Bud quickly uh, pulled DJ out, and that was sort of a, a failed experiment. But yeah, I, I just think that, and DJ's become such a sort of uh, cult figure, I guess, with Bucks fans. They love DJ. Anytime I I tweet anything about Ersan or, or Meritich and minutes and rotation stuff, that people want DJ out there. But uh, I don't think the signs are, are pointing towards us seeing much of him at all in the playoffs. No, I don't think so, and it is tough. I, I do like what I've seen, but, I mean, it's there's so many puzzle pieces here, and obviously Bud has to find the right fits, and that's crucial, and it's just seemed like some of the other guys fit better. I mean, there's just a tremendous importance on fit in the playoffs and how things fit together, and there's also a tremendous importance of fit in podcast advertisements. You know, at Blue Wire, we don't just partner with any advertiser. We want to make sure that we're giving our listeners a good deal on a product that we're here pitching. That's exactly why we love doing business with Harry's. Harry's is giving Blue Wire listeners a shaving kit for just $3. That's it. 
Go to harrys.com slash bluewire and you'll save $10 on a trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade. The trimmer blade is essential. Rich, lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. If you're not familiar with Harry's, it's time you should be. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. The founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned, and really, who isn't? Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for more than 95 years. Join the 10 million people who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. That's it. That's a hell of an ad rate as always. Uh, <laughs> our friends at Harry's keeping everyone looking uh, pretty sharp. but uh, Necessary. It is necessary. Absolutely. It's playoff time. You would be looking good. But uh, I think, speaking of looking good in playoff time, hey. Chris Middleton is just doing his thing that he's been doing really since the All-Star break. But he is shooting, uh, at the moment, uh, 47.4% from three on six attempts per game. So he's letting it fly. And they're dropping for, for Chris Middleton at the moment. He's averaging 98.3 points, six rebounds, 5.3 assists. Um, is that playoffs or since the break? Uh, that's just in the playoffs. Since the break, gotcha. since the break, he's actually he's over. He's over twenty points per game. I that's mean, that's what I figured. Yeah. yeah, and he's he was coming into the playoffs. Milton was shooting around 38 percent from three uh, after the All Star break. But yeah, he's he's coming uh, shooting in this series, and and they're really starting to fall. And this is on the back of uh, his playoffs last season, where he shot sixty one percent from three. So. Uh, I, I get the feeling that Chris Middleton, you know, feels pretty comfortable in the playoff stage. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I've I think I've talked people's ears off about sixteen game players, but it feels like a lot of Milwaukee Bucks are. But he's probably the prime example, and I think the the biggest difference between he and where it comes to you know like Giannis or Bledsoe or, or really pretty much anyone else on the roster is he can pretty much pull up and, and score from anywhere and very comfortably. I mean. When he drives, there is no point between the rim and fairly deep behind, not super deep. I don't think he's like a Steph Curry range guy, but, you know, a foot or two behind the three-point line in the rim. He can pull up and go for a shot anywhere in that range, and it just makes it so hard to guard someone when you don't know where they're going to go or really even where they want to go. Like, Chris has no qualms or, or hesitation about pulling up for those twos that really nobody else on the Bucks has the rope to do, but... You know, whereas, you know, when you guard Giannis, I'm not saying it's easier to guard Giannis, certainly. I mean, guarding Giannis is probably one of the toughest covers in the league, but, you know, his goal is to go to the rim. That's what he wants to do. With Chris, I mean, you really have no idea what he's looking for, and he'll just take whatever you may give up. And I just think it makes his scoring really hard to stop in the postseason when he's feeling good and his shots are falling. Yeah, and at the interesting point that you made there was that uh, he gets a little more rope, I guess, to take some of these shots and... It's funny because this is one of those things that early in the season, Middleton was, you know, going through a little bit of a slump, particularly through that sort of November, early December uh, stage when I guess if you were gauging Bucks fans, it, it felt like the tide was starting to turn on Middleton a little bit. We haven't, I, I know, I, I mean, 
I know my mentions at, at, at any game through that period were just lit up with Middleton, uh, Middleton comments, but they're this definitely... Guy's a, well, this guy's worth a max. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, and I understand like there's there's still some big stuff to, to be to be done. But if there you're talking is. about a, if you're talking about a guy that's delivered in two straight playoffs, and there's a long way to go in this postseason, uh, we we hope or we think, but uh, you know, if, if he has or does deliver two postseasons in a row, are you really questioning whether you want to pay this guy? Uh, and and again, back to my original point before I got distracted. But the the rope uh, that you said that Bug gets, and this is a question that we asked. Uh, Mark Budenholzer quite a few times because there was a definitive point where Middleton went from shooting really, I think he was up around seven or eight threes a game. And then he really started taking those mid range shots again, which he, he was not taking early in the season. And we would ask Budenholzer about this. And he said, yeah, look, I, you know, I kind of like let these guys, you know, take a few of those shots and keep some balance there. And we know what we want to be doing, but that's that's their, their comfortable position. And he was talking about Giannis as well, who probably has taken less, certainly, uh, than, than previous seasons. But I just thought it was interesting that Middleton is a rhythm player and he's a guy that that will go on really sort of extended hot streaks and then he might have a couple of nights where he struggles a little bit. But I think him finding his rhythm, and it's ridiculous that his rhythm is, is post-up, fadeaway, contested, mid-range shots. But hey, that's how Middleton gets going. And I think giving him that little bit extra uh, leniency or, or leeway with, with his shot selection and shots that he can take, I think overall has helped him to, to really work into a, a really nice rhythm. And, and he's feeling super confident right now. And I don't think there's any coincidence that this all happened after the All-Star break either. I mean, mm-hmm. he spends the weekend playing with the best players in the league. Uh, he plays really well in the All-Star game. And that had to be a huge shot for his confidence. I think two almost, and I don't know if there's any, I don't think there's any way for data to confirm this or whatever, but when you play the Bucks and everyone except Middleton, basically, you know, you're, you know that they want to either take threes or be at the rim. I almost wonder if defenses, when they play Milwaukee, especially in the playoffs when, you know, it's over and over, you kind of get used to guarding the way some of the other Bucks will play. You know, you really sell out for the three-point line and for the rim, you know, especially for Giannis. I just wonder if that sort of like zigging – while the other the rest of the, his teammates are zagging, like Middleton, I wonder if it makes it easier for him to find some of those mid range looks because the defense is like, you know, nine out of the nine out of the ten guys who play really aren't looking for those. Maybe Bledsoe a little bit here and there. He'll do like his turnaround, you know, chuck something up when he drives. But I don't know. I just wonder if, if defenders get so used to looking out for the three point line, you know, defend the rim. Oh God, Giannis is coming. Let's get two or three guys over there. All of a sudden, here's Chris Middleton from 16 feet. I, I don't know. I just feel like it might throw a spanner in the works to the defense. Spanner in the works. It definitely does. But you touched on it. The point you made, they're worried about what Giannis is doing. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's the chief that, concern. I mean, that's the thing, right? Because that's why playing the Bucks is so difficult. And that's why Giannis can have a poor night and they're still going to put up 119 points because – if you're, you're, it doesn't matter what Giannis is doing. He is the focus of the defense. So then, if you have Milton standing in the perimeter with Bledsoe, Lopez, George Hill comes in off the bench. I mean, that the, the offensive options are unlimited, and that's why uh, the Bucks. It, it, there should be no concern in really any series that they're going to put up points because even if a couple of guys have a bad night, there's always someone that's going to that's going to get going. So uh, I think you're right. I, I think that. The overall point that Middleton does things a little bit different uh, 
to Giannis. And then Giannis does things a little bit different. I think in general, uh, just the variety of the ways that these guys can score is what, what really presents uh, the problem for, for opposition teams. So you said Milton is really just, I mean, he's just been playing great for a couple of months now. Uh, and it's going to, it's going to be much needed when the Bucks do eventually move on. But Game four is going to be on Monday night, and the Bucks. It's it's kind of funny. I was thinking about this uh, this morning, uh, just in general about how the Bucks look like they're on the brink of, of of winning a series, and it looks like they're going to sweep. And I probably never really thought, just from watching the Bucks for as long as you know we both have, I always thought that when the Bucks eventually won a series, it would be this dramatic, uh, you know, intense, stressful. Uh, moments or, or series and in some ways it kind of feels a little anti-climatic uh, I guess because they're going to they're gonna roll through this team, win every game by 20 points, sweep them and no one really has had any concerns about whether the Bucks are going to get through at all which is just the the opposite of, of how I, I pictured this happen Yeah, I, I sort of agree I mean I don't mind the way it's turned out Especially because <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It's not yeah, a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, especially because it'll be the death of all the every time yeah. someone says something about Giannis. No, you mean the guy who's never gotten out of the first round? Well, uh, as in about thirty six hours, that won't be the case anymore. So no, I, I don't mean that guy. Um, but no, I do agree. I mean, especially the last two first round series for the Bucks, both at times, definitely felt like oh, this might be the one. You know. Though Milwaukee's got the Raptors on the ropes here, and then DeRozan has a couple of monster games, and oh, Milwaukee's going to really push Boston to the edge here, and just I mean, Bledsoe plays horrifically, and Terry Rozier may maybe earned himself a huge contract, even with this season not going that well for him, and and everything, and Tatum playing really well, and everything else in that Boston series, and to go from those two just grudge matches against Eastern Conference sort of heavyweights to this is pretty extreme. I mean, I guess it shows you, it goes to show all the talk about, you know, the regular season not mattering. It, the Getting the A seeds a lot better than getting, I mean, obviously the Bucks are used to being a bottom four seed, but even like the Nets, I think would be a lot more competitive than this. I mean, they, they took a game off Philly. So uh, yeah, I guess it is, it is a lot different than I guess a lot of people would have expected. But I guess then again, that comes with the difference between us expecting the Bucks to be, you know, 50-some wins, a good team, hopefully home court, hopefully top three seed to the best team in the league. I mean, I guess everything has shifted so much since since our expectations before this season that, I mean, I suppose it makes sense that this isn't what we would have thought. Yeah, and I guess yeah, I guess that's right. I mean, we've, we've been watching the team so closely all, all season that I, I guess it's not a surprise to us what's happening right now. And I think maybe... It would be, and to some people that haven't watched the Bucks and haven't watched the Bucks and, and Pistons play, I think the only thing that may be a source of frustration for Bucks fans moving forward is that people in the media, they're probably going to dismiss this series. <laughs> so mm-hmm. even though the Bucks are going to get through and they're going to finally break through that first round barrier, I think that for the most part, people are going to say, well, you know what, it was Detroit. They didn't have Blake Griffin. He was hurt. Uh, the, the Pistons suck. That's you know, like that's going to be the narrative. So, uh, you know, I, it looks like, and as we record this podcast, it's almost tip off uh, in uh, Indiana, 
for the for the Pacers and, and Celtics, game four. Uh, so we may know, by the time you guys are listening to this, we may already know and that, that, that Boston is going to be the team and you expect it's going to be anyway, but it's just a matter of, of how far the Pacers can drag out that series. And look, they've blown a couple of really good chances to win games. Like this series easily could have been 2-1 in favor of the Pacers. So again, it would not surprise me if the Pacers find a way to sort of extend this series, but we should expect that it's going to be the Celtics. And when that series rolls around, that's when the pressure is really going to ramp up on this Bucks team. And that's when people are going to be looking uh, for Milwaukee to, to, to fall or to fail. That That's basically what you should expect. Absolutely. And I'm glad you kind of brought up that the, the expectation and everything, because you can't do anything except play who's in front of you. And the Bucks all year pounded everyone in front of them, earned that first seed, get the best matchup in the playoffs against Detroit, pounded them. And I think I have seen, I think uh, Matt Moore at HP Basketball sort of tweeted something like, oh, I wonder, mm-hmm. you know, if this is going to end up in the Celtics' favor because Milwaukee hasn't really had a game. And it's like, I don't know. I think I'd rather have the really good team who just dusts their opponent and never leaves a game in doubt than have the team that, you know, like you said, is eking by a Pacers team that without Victor Oladipo has no offense. There is no offense on this team. They signed Tyreek Evans to help. He hasn't done anything. All season long, playoffs included. I mean, their sole offense right now basically is Boyan Bogdanovich. And I think if you have Kyrie Irving, Al Horford, who's he's been sick, I know, but still he's played. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward is coming around, and you can barely beat this team that, I mean, doesn't have any sort of offensive focal point. That would worry me more than blowing out a team. I think I'd rather have the team that executes their game plan, plays their ball, and just dominates than the team that maybe against tougher competition, I don't know, probably the Pacers are still better than the Pistons, even without Oladipo. Still, I mean, I, I don't want to eke by a, a bad team in the first round. Even if it is a sweep, it it really it hasn't been a typical dominant performance by the better team in that series. No, uh, and, and I think, and I saw that tweet also from Matt, and I think that is something that people talk about. And the interesting thing, is going to be, and we, we've sort of spoke about this a little bit, uh, with how easily the Bucks are rolling through this series. The only thing was going to be how many days off they would get. So I had someone ask me about this on Twitter yesterday. So the, the situation is if the, if the Celtics do win today, or even if they win in five, uh, so the series would be done early in the week, uh, they can move the second round, which is slated to start next Monday on the 29th. They can move that to Saturday. So that's the earliest they can do it. And the way these series are panning out, I would suggest that that is probably what's going to happen. So, you know, outside of anything crazy happening in these two series, I think next Saturday looks like the likely uh, date for game one at Fiserv Forum against probably Boston. So, uh, that would give the Bucks, uh, you know, a solid four or five days off. I, I'm not overly concerned about that. The big reason I'm not concerned about that is because the Bucks had four or five days off before game one and came out and blew the doors off Detroit in the first quarter. They were ready. They practiced more than they'd practiced really for the last two months of the season. So the Bucks have been sort of tapering down, uh, practicing and with the heavy road schedule that they did have, it made a lot of sense and, and all the injuries uh, also. But in that four or five days off, they practiced every day. Their practices went a lot longer than 
they usually did. We were <laughs> we were at the practice facility for many many hours waiting for them to finish, and, <laughs> and all the players said that they uh, that the practices were hard. They were the hardest practices that they've had uh, since uh, training camp. So. I think that's an indication of how this Bucks team will sort of handle those days off if they do get them. Um, so I, I don't really have the concern about that. Uh, and also, no. I just think, I also just think it's a seven game series. You know, like yeah, that that, that rust all it, it's not gonna even if there is a little bit of rust, you're gonna shake that off in the first half of game one. It's it's I, I just don't think that's a concern over over a long series. Well, and the other thing that's sort of in, in implied, and I don't, I'm not trying to attack Matt. I mean, I like Matt. We tweet together, whatever. But yeah, he's very, the other he, thing, he is very pro the Bucks. He's, yeah, he does a lot, he of, a lot of pro Bucks stuff. So I, I don't, I don't think it was a. I think it was just a thought. I, don't, I definitely no, don't think sure. it was a negative Bucks tweet. Absolutely, I, I would agree. But I think sort of another, like the last implication there, is sort of like the Bucks aren't used to like a real opponent. And it's like, well. I mean, the Bucks have played Boston plenty in the regular season. Obviously, playoffs last year it was a different Bucks team, but it was a a different Celtics team, you know. But still, I mean, they they've played the Celtics a lot. They're familiar with that team, and whoever they they would get in the Eastern Conference Finals if they move past Boston, or I guess or Indiana, technically, whatever. You know, they're pretty dang familiar with the Raptors and the Sixers too. I mean, Raptors match up two years ago, different team, but I mean, Lowry's still there. And then, uh, I mean, they've played high-level games against both of those teams in the regular seasons as well. So it's not like they're going to be like, oh, man, we're totally unprepared for, you know, Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler or whatever else. I mean, this isn't – I don't know. I'm just I'm – not, I'm not worried about it. I think Milwaukee is not dumb. I think they realize that there are harder teams remaining. But I, I don't think we've seen the Bucks play, you know, incredibly well. And I just – I don't know. I'm not worried about Russ. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, it's not a concern for me. Well, I mean, all they're doing right now is taking care of business. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, you touched on on the point. It's hard to, I mean, at this point with the Bucks after winning sixty games and the way they've started the postseason, it's hard to really, you know, find any negatives. So I guess you know if you want to bring up any concerns, and those are the types of things you have to talk about because you're not seeing anything on the floor. Uh, so, you know, again, the Bucks roll through. They are just continuing to destroy the Pistons, and, and Monday night could be. A historic night for the Bucks. Have you got any early thoughts on Game Four? I think it's going to be more of the same. Uh, I, I just I don't even know if Detroit's going to have the fight they had in Game Three because I think, right. you know, I feel like that's when you get to come home. You know, you can sort of tell yourself, "Listen, we're down 2-0, but you know, we just lost in their arena. We can win in our arena. We can make this a series." And then you know, to come out with all that energy, Blake's reemergence and and just get dusted like that and with an off game from Giannis too I mean I don't know uh Dwayne Casey's an excellent players coach I think his guys will be ready to play but I just don't know if the intensity will be able to match what it was and even when it was as as high as it was for game three it still wasn't really a contest so I, I, I don't see any surprises coming no, I yeah I, I think that's it I think that we've we did see the Pistons probably best shot uh, in the first half in game two, and then, uh, yeah, the first half again last night. But the Bucks look like they just have too much for them. So uh, I will be watching game four with our friend Pratik from mm. ESPN Milwaukee on the sidecast. I don't know if anyone's seen uh, that from Pratik. He's brought it back this, this postseason, and it should be a bit of fun. So if you don't, if you don't want to listen to... The broadcast, TV broadcast. You can put the sound on the sidecast, and we will just be 
talking and it'll be somewhat serious and then other times it will be not serious at all <laughs> if i know anything about the sidecast from from what i've seen so what when does uh, the sidecast start so it's the whole length of the game okay so we just sit there the cameras the camera's on us which is i mean it's it's a, i kind of like it it's, it's, it's a unique idea when when i decided well when i found out that i couldn't go to detroit uh Pratik, uh, I hit up Pratik and he already asked me and said, if you're ever not here on the road game, let's do this. So it should be a bit of fun. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, on a night that, as I said, the Bucks are looking to make history and, and move on to bigger and better things. There's going to be a lot of scattered Eurostep content. I'm going to be uh, BJ and the Bear doing a live show at Beckett's from 5 to 6 in Oshkosh uh, to do sort of a pregame show. I'm going to appear on there. So we're going to be all over. During after this game, I know we're going to record some point after and sort of wrap up the series. Uh, so yeah, a lot of a lot of content from the both of us here in, in Milwaukee's uh, soon to be most successful playoff run at least since two thousand and four, which is pretty exciting stuff. It is, and we should I should we should mention BJ and the Bear. They uh, they look after us. Yeah, they've got the podcast up on the website uh, and the uh, the score and. Uh, they treat us well, and they always give the, the podcast a shout-out. So we have to uh, recognize two good blokes, BJ and the Bear. <laughs> Absolutely two good blokes. And, you know, the scorewi.com, if you're not in the area. It's, I know they have an Appleton and an Oshkosh Tower, I think, that broadcast it. But, yeah, BJ and the Bear, weekdays 6 to 8. So definitely check those guys out. They've been supporters of the pod since right away. I know. Uh, we've both we were going on there independently before we did the pod, so I'm glad that uh, that's maintained. And like you said, they've been good supporters of us. They have, and with that, I think we can wrap this up. The game three podcast is done. The Bucks again win one nineteen one oh three. The funnily enough, the closest game of the series so far with that sixteen point win. But they now. Uh, have in twenty four hours they'll be getting ready for game four, looking to complete the sweep stay healthy and move on to Boston, which we think is going to happen next week. So thank you to everyone for listening. Ty, thank you for uh, this Easter edition podcast. We didn't say happy Easter, but we should say happy Easter to everyone. If that's, if you uh, celebrate that. Absolutely. Happy Easter. You know, the Easter bunnies brought us a three Oh lead over the Pistons, which is a nice Easter gift. Uh, thank you, Kane. And thank you everyone for listening. Make sure to subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, do whatever you need to do. Uh, you know, help the spread the podcast. We we always appreciate it. So thanks, everybody. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust. So I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast.